podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. This week's service featured a visit from Tom and Lori Wilson. Tom and Lori gave a report on their recent visit to the Nordic and Baltic churches that our missions donations support. And then Tom preached a message titled, After the Resurrection. Lori and I were uh, over in the Baltics recently, and uh, we're going to share a little bit about that. It's, uh, we're at the, about the 43rd parallel, I think, and the Baltics and the Nordics are up around the 53rd parallel, uh, something like uh, 1,600 miles north of where we are right now. And uh, Lori and I have been going over there for 16 years, uh, reaching out to those churches, and we've over the time we've developed a lot of great relationships with them. Uh, I was over there for a month just recently. Lori joined me for the last 10 days, and uh, we wanted to share just a little bit about that. Uh, these are the churches that make up the Baltic Nordic missions that you guys give to, and First and foremost, thank you. You may not see, it may not seem like to you that your little bit that you put in the plate makes a difference, but I just want you to know it goes a long way, especially in the Baltic countries where uh, the, uh, you know, the, the cost of living is so much higher and uh, incomes are lower than the average, uh, certainly more, more so than the Nordics, but it goes a long way. Uh, this is the location. We've got uh, disciples in all these countries, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark. That makes up the Nordic portion of it. And then in the Baltics, the three countries, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Uh, give you a little perspective, those three countries of the Baltics would all fit within Michigan. So uh, uh, it's amazing. Uh, we... Uh, we uh, can uh, have all of this stuff going on in such a small area. And certainly the languages uh, have been a barrier. This is all because God chose to confuse the speech of people after that Tower of Babel thing. Uh, why he chose that, I don't know. That's one of those questions we'll have to ask him or not, because by the time we get to heaven, nobody's really going to care about that stuff. Uh, so uh, here's some of the stuff that we were able to do while we were there. Uh, it's been a long time, and I don't know completely the reason for it, but one of the things I wanted to do while I was there is uh, bring together the Nordic leaders and the Baltic leaders and reestablish the connection. There was a time where uh, there were joint leadership meetings among all those churches, and uh, we're going to have our next one, first time uh, in quite some time, in, or, uh, in March of next year where uh, all the Baltic leaders and all the Nordic leaders, along with leadership groups from within the church, will have a little conference over there. Uh, you may not think it's a big deal, but for these people to be able to pull together, uh, in, the, in the Baltics especially, these small little countries, and to be able to have fellowship with other disciples and other church leaders is a big deal. And uh, I'm sure some of the smaller churches, uh, much of our or some of our special contribution will help to make those people, uh, make it possible for those people to travel to those places. Uh, in Estonia recently, the main couple, Kaido and Trine Leesman, uh, recently resigned. No sin on their part, no sin on anybody's part. It was just 
they felt like it was time and we were supportive of that. And so uh, right now we're, uh, we helped establish the leadership group and kind of the parameters that they're going to operate in uh, for the next few months anyway, maybe six months until we can identify uh, the next church leaders, which will be Sean and Jennifer Alexander from Detroit. <laughs> just, just kidding. Sean goes, well, maybe. And Jennifer, no way. And George is caught in the crossfire. And uh, anyway, uh, Lithuania, uh, one of the things that's come from the Ukrainian refugee situation is uh, there's some great people that had to leave Ukraine in order to go to other places. And there's one family in particular, you have three or more children, you were allowed to leave Ukraine during this time. There's a couple that had been in the ministry in the past in Kiev, and uh, there's a good chance, uh, we had a little Zoom interview with them last Wednesday, uh, but they could be the new church leaders in Lithuania. So you can pray about that. And uh, that would be something that our missions contribution directly supports uh, because the Lithuanian church is relatively small and uh, wouldn't be able to support a couple like that on their own. Uh, Latvia, like in the U.S., there are from time to time some doctrinal issues that come up and kind of circulate around churches, even around countries. And uh, that was one of the big things that Lori and I were able to address in Latvia, Riga, Latvia, on this last trip to clear up some doctrinal confusion about who's lost and who's saved. I don't know if you've ever been confused about that. Uh, it's pretty crystal clear in the Bible. If you follow the Bible, it's when we allow these other outside influences to affect our thinking that take us away from the scriptures and that's pri primarily what happened uh, with some of the disciples in Riga, Latvia. But I think we got them back on track. Amen? So, uh, there. And then with all of these countries, uh, the Ukrainian refugees, over the last year, there's probably been about 500 of the Ukrainian disciples that have made their way through the Baltic churches uh, they didn't all settle there, but that was kind of like their first stop along the way. And living in the Baltic churches right now are probably about 120 Ukrainian disciples as part of the Baltic churches. I'm going to let Lori share a little bit about that. Yeah, it was it was really, really exciting to see and be able to meet a lot of the Ukrainian um, uh, disciples that are there, uh, mostly uh, in Estonia. Um, I would say a lot of them had come through and left, and, and, and some of them did decide to stay. The, the, the governments have made these countries, uh, for the, have allowed the Ukrainians, made, made it easy for them to get jobs. So that was one good thing about it. And then um, in Estonia, this is kind of neat. It's like after church, after church service on Sunday, the, uh, the, the Ukrainian uh, disciples bring all this food. They bring, like, home-baked goods and their own prepared foods to serve to the disciples at church. It was just, it's their way of giving back uh, for all the help that they've been given in coming into the church there. 
which is, I think, is uh, it gives us a, a feel for where their hearts are at. They're very, very grateful for all the help. I will speak for all three of the Baltic churches how much they helped um, over and above what they needed to to help these people come in to um, to find uh, a place to stay, a place to live, to help find a job, to get clothes, food, everything. I mean, they worked so hard. Um, in fact, there was like in Latvia, for example, Latvia Church has doubled in size because of the Ukrainians there. So, I mean, can you imagine if you had this many new people come in and just one shot to try to take care of them? It would it would be hard, right? It would be a challenge. But they, I mean, they did so so very very much um, to do it, and we're so grateful for them being there. In Latvia, I got to meet a little more, uh, some more personally, of the women that are there. Because a lot of them are women or with their children. The men stayed behind. Um, if you had three children, the men were allowed to leave Ukraine because, you know, the moms couldn't take care of their, the three by themselves. And um, Anyway, so for some reason, they, they were able to leave. So there are some families that are together. But most of them are the women without their husbands. And they're there to take care of their kids and figure out life, where they're gonna, if they're going to stay there, if they're going to move on. And they're looking for work. So I had one woman in particular come to me. She had to be translated because she didn't speak a lot of English. But um, she was in her 50s. She's, um, her husband's over there, and she's got a couple of kids. One was a teen, I think. And she was just asking me a bunch of questions for you know parenting and, and whatever. And um, she also was talking to me. She, she spotted me, and she looked at me, and she said, I, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And I think it's because we're her age. <laughs> I'll just say her age. And she had some personal female things to talk about, which I won't <laughs> explain. You can only imagine. And, you know, she just was pumping me with questions because she just really needed some advice. And I felt good. I felt like I, you know, I was able to help her, which was was great. But she was so appreciative of that. And um, so there's not a lot of the older women that are there <clears throat> in the church. But I have to just say thank you so much for the support. It has been um, the the support is used amazingly. I mean, a dollar goes a long way. I'll just say that, like Tom was saying. But it's. It's how they're, when you go see their faces and you talk to them and you see their hearts, it, it just warms you. It really does. And I just want you to make, feel good about giving to this, um, this mission. And it's just, it's just, if you could, I wish I could take all of you. I could go just to meet them because they're wonderful people. They really are wonderful Excellent. people. Um, but anyway. <clears throat> if you ever have any questions about where the money goes that you give, you can talk to Joel. I've given Joel a spreadsheet of our uh, budget and expenses and distributions of funds. And uh, of all the mission societies that are out there, and there's uh, a number of them, uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty confident that the Baltic Nordic mission uh, money is... Uh, we, we have the least amount of overhead, so there's very little that goes to administration. 90% uh, 
plus probably goes, uh, I'm thinking it's 90%, goes to uh, the churches and help with their support. Amen? So there you go. There you go. Uh, Joel, is that good enough? Is, do you want me to say anything else? All right. Joel's happy. We're going to move on. You guys uh, still have Bibles, right? Do you mind reading the Bible a little bit? There's a, there's a lot of bizarre events that happen in the Bible, uh, from wars to bizarre, miraculous things that God does to punishments that take on unbelievable forms. But by far, the most significant thing was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Just prior to his resurrection, he was in that grave for three days, and all the hope that the disciples had had been lost up until that point in time. And then he was there on earth for a little bit, but then he was taken up into heaven, as it talks about here in Acts chapter 1, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And so they, they had him, he was gone, they got him back, and now he's gone again. And then you wonder, what's going to happen? He was the creator of Christianity, the author of our faith, and now he's gone, but he left this ministry to all of us pretty common, ordinary human beings. He does it not only in Lansing, but on the other side of the world, and he's been doing this for centuries, ever since Jesus walked the earth. Um, you know, after his resurrection, he was—he uh, appeared for about a 40-day period before he was taken up into heaven. We often jump to the beginning of the church, which is in Acts chapter 2, but have you ever wondered what was Jesus doing after the resurrection during this 40-day period? He didn't go immediately. He was left after the resurrection to spend some time on earth before his final departure, where he still is in heaven, waiting to come back for the second time. But it's this 40-day period, if we look at what Jesus was doing during this time, it tells us some pretty important things about what you and I should be doing on a regular basis. These were the things that were most important to Jesus, the things that were on his mind, and the things that he wanted to oppress upon his followers and leave behind for them. And so that's what we're going to look at for a little bit. First of all, you can imagine Jesus on the cross, seeing your best friends that you spent three years with, given everything to them, included them, gave them hope, a vision. And then on that night when he needed them most, they all betrayed him one right after another. You know that feeling, don't you? Maybe not to that degree, but you know what it's like when people have let you down, they've said something mean, they forgot about something in your life, they didn't make a phone call, they didn't come and visit. You know the feeling, right? Feeling like, man, they just weren't there for me. Uh, you know, we're going to experience that a lot. It's a part of life. I think a lot of times it's not intentional. Sometimes maybe it is, but nonetheless, we've got to ad address things like that. Let's look in verse 19 of John chapter 20. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, 
when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is his reconciliation with the disciples in Jerusalem. And it's interesting, when you think about what happened just not that long before, just a few days prior, he says to them, peace be with you. Jesus was the offended party, but yet he was the one that was taking the steps to be reconciled with his brothers. I, in my flesh, peace be with you, would probably not be the words that would come out of my mouth. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, hey, what is the deal? I was hanging there, suffering, and you turned around like little two-year-olds and ran for your lives and left me there all by myself. That's what I probably would have said. But Jesus has a little higher calling, doesn't he? He's the author of forgiveness. In fact, he laid down his life so that you and I could be forgiven And so how appropriate the author of forgiveness extends this peace offering to get reconciled with his brothers and sisters. Again, he was the offended party. They should have been coming to him, but yet Jesus went to them. This is a great lesson for you and I, because we we do hurt each other from time to time. Maybe some of you right now are sitting on this side of the room because you don't like somebody sitting on that side of the room. I hope that's not the case. Uh, But if you avoid or steer away from, instead of striving to be reconciled, then once again, Satan, we, we play right into Satan's hand when we act that way. This is not only between brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's between family members that are Christians family members that are not Christians. Sometimes it's between parents and children, children and parents. There's no endless, there's an endless combination of relationships that can get crossway with each other, but yet we see Jesus reconciling. In John 21, we have a similar situation, only this time it's in Galilee in that region. And he says in verse 15, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. So this little course uh, uh, dialogue goes on for three times. Interesting that Jesus knew that Peter denied him three times, and three times Jesus asked, do you truly love me? But yet, In this, he also is casting a vision for the life and the role that Peter would play in the future, in the not-too-distant future. Sometimes when we're at odds with each other, we may reconcile, 
but we have no hope or no vision for a future relationship or any kind of thing that may happen. Many, many years ago, and I hope we've learned our lesson in our movement of churches, that people were sometimes labeled and pigeonholed and put into dog houses because of performance issues or things they did and didn't say, and then that was it. Whoever the powers that be were, they kind of wrote them off and said they'll never amount to much, and then they move on to the next leader. We don't function that way in this era of our movement. There's plenty of room for error. There's plenty of room for mistake. And the success of a church is not necessarily uh, determined by a couple stats or figures on a sheet that would indicate something. And so uh, we also, after we reconcile with people, we have to have a vision for each other's lives that there's something more, there's something greater that can be accomplished by our reconciliation of the relationship than if we just would have gone our own separate ways. This was one of the first things that Jesus did during that 40-day period after the resurrection, get reconciled with his disciples. Secondly, as Jesus fell on the cross, and was buried, some of them were in his close proximity, in his very small group of disciples, but then there were hundreds, if not thousands of people that were also following Jesus, maybe at a little little bit more of a distance, and they too kind of scattered when they saw that their Savior, this man that they had put their hope in, fall, they thought it was all over, and maybe that they had believed a lie, they lost their faith, and they were wandering. And yet it wasn't over for them either. We've seen many people over the years. You've seen it in Lansing. I've seen it in all the churches that I've been a part of in the U.S. and in overseas, where there's people that have just kind of wandered away. They've lost their faith for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of sin. Maybe because... They lost their faith, maybe because of other things that were drawing them away. And yet, as time goes by, God is still working on these people that wander. And we should never give up hope in seeing somebody else come back to the fellowship. Sometimes it's years, maybe even decades later, that people wander away and they make their way back. One of our first converts when we, Lori and I were in Lansing in 1985 was uh, a brother named Steve Post. Some of you guys know Steve. He was faithful, went through some hard times. I won't give you all the details, but then wandered away from the faith and he was gone for I don't know how many years, but it would have been measured in decades. Gone. And then all of a sudden, he ends up back in the Detroit church, shows up, and he gets restored. And he's one of the most encouraging brothers that you would ever care to meet. Because God never gave up on him. People never gave up on him. And so think about maybe some of the people here in Lansing that have wandered away over the years, 
uh, a lot of them, it's because they lost their faith somewhere along the way. I felt like I've come close to losing my faith over the last 40 years that I've been a disciple, even as a minister. Nobody is immune from this. We all are subject to it. And yet, there's still a vision and a hope for anybody that drifts and wanders. Amen? And so we read this account in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. We won't turn to this one. You can read it on your own. But it's where Jesus appears, it says, to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. And he gave many convincing proofs that he was still alive. So now Jesus, he gets reconciled with those that hurt him the most. And now he's taking a bigger look at his followers and now reaching out far beyond that little core group of people that he was with. Now he starts pulling people back together. This is one of the most important things to do. We don't have to get somebody to repent before they come back, but we have to give them some hope. We're not going to sweep repentance under the table. In fact, there's probably a few people that have left the Lansing Church over the years of its existence that have actually been divisive, bitter, critical, resentful, and uh, I think that's a whole different category. I'm talking about the majority of people that walk away. Sometimes they just need to get turned back. There's a little passage in Hebrews chapter 3. It says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. There's a formula there. Sinful leads to doubt, leads to turning away. And so when somebody wants to come back, We don't jump to the beginning and get them to repent before they take their first move. It's actually just the opposite. We work the formula backwards. They turn back a little bit. We start to help them build their faith just a little bit. And then they're in a place that they can deal with whatever their issues were, whether it's sin, faith, doctrinal things, whatever. But during this 40-day period, Jesus was regrouping those that had wandered and pulling them back and forming a critical mass. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Got a little Lansing map up there for you. You guys know this place? Those of you that live outside of this area, please don't get ticked off at me. It was not a deliberate smite of your uh, location. It's just representative of the greater Lansing area. Amen? Uh, Some of you are down by Eaton Rapids. You're still a part. Oh, it is right there. Eaton. But I guess if you're in Rapids, you don't count. Uh, You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. All right. So we'll get, I'll get reconciled with Clay after church. Jesus, he didn't just do it so that everybody could be lovey-dovey again. He had to get reconciled. He had to pull people together. But he also had to remind them after this traumatic time 
that there's still a mission that needs to get lived out. And so he takes some time during this period to get their minds focused back on the mission. He was going to be gone in 10 days. They didn't know that, but he was taken up. And then 10 days from then, the church was going to start. There was a little time of confusion. Everybody was wondering what's the next step now that Jesus is gone. But he had already prepared them for the next step by getting them refocused on the mission. And we read a little bit about that in Acts chapter 1. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is sent by his own, set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. He gave them this vision. Once I'm gone, you're going to start right here in Jerusalem. And then you're going to go to Judea and Samaria. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. I think it's amazing that our fellowship of churches, if you compare it to other fellowships of churches, It might be small, but to others it's big. Size really doesn't come into play. But that we really have been a part of all of this. You are a part of all of this. You're most focused right here where you live, where you spend the majority of your time in and around the Lansing area. You're also part of a group of churches in Michigan that have a vision of, doing other things in the state of Michigan. It was really inspiring a couple years ago when Jaron and Bianca started the Kalamazoo Church that had been on the to-do list for like decades, right? But they finally did it. It finally happened. You guys were a part of that. So it's not only your own little town building your own little kingdom, but you're also thinking about the state of Michigan. There's going to have to be a time where we get a little bit farther north than Grand Rapids. Amen? Grand Rapids right now is the farthest north church in Michigan. And it's not that far north. It's still considered lower Michigan. Uh, Lori and I stretched it a little bit. We moved just north of Grand Rapids to Rockford. And uh, we're going to... Well, I won't say what I was going to say because Ben might be listening to this in Grand Rapids. But uh, but what, what about Cadillac? Mount Pleasant? Traverse City? What about Munising? Jen's mom is here. Jen and Deb's mom is here. I volunteer to go there if I can drive your four-wheelers. Is that all right? Okay, Lori, we're moving to the UP. I think I think Joel would probably sign himself up, but Joel might be going as a single brother. I'm not sure. But you know, if we if we all stay here, wrapped up in our own little worlds and our own little issues, 
Forget that we're part of the Lansing Church, which is a part of Michigan, which is a part of the Midwest, which is a part of the world, then God can't accomplish what he wants to because the way he does it is through willing brothers and sisters that are ready to pack their bags, step out, give a chunk of cash to help somebody else do it if they can't move, where there's a vision for this mission. And that's what I think Jesus was trying to establish those last 40 days of his life here on this earth. I want you to think about these three things for your own life. If there's somebody you need to get reconciled with, do it. You're going to be a lot happier. They'll be a lot happier. And God will put you in a position to do a lot more with your life than if you chose not to get reconciled. Secondly, if you're coming to church on Sunday, but you're still a little bit out on the peripheral of the body of the Lansing Church, get yourself pulled back into the middle. Re-engage the relationships. It's really not a big deal to come to midweek. It's not a hardship to go to a Friday night devotional. Get regrouped. And let others come to you and say, hey, bro, sis, I love you. You've meant a lot to me in my life. But I, I got to be honest, I just feel like you're slipping. You're drifting a little bit. Can I help you get pulled back in? If you don't have the faith for it, borrow some of mine. I've got enough faith for you right now. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just dole it out? <clears throat> but get pulled back in. And then, let's make sure we don't get so caught up in the day-to-day -day grind of working, raising kids, going to school, getting an education, paying bills, taking care of car repairs, that we forget everywhere we go to do those things, there's probably somebody open that we're going to come across from time to time. Lori and I, after this month-long trip to the Baltics, we're coming back into the States, and uh, our entry point was Minneapolis. So we sit there, and then we're so close to Grand Rapids. After, after 30 days, Lord, please just get me home. I, I want to sleep in my own bed. I want to sit on my own toilet again and so many other things. And uh, so we're sitting there waiting to get the flight from uh, Minneapolis to Grand Rapids. And there's a woman that's sitting there and come to find out she lives about a mile and a half from where Lori and I live. She was out in Colorado with some of her friends from college or high school, and she's just sitting there, and we start talking about spiritual things. She gives us her phone number. I'd like to be able to really, you know, finish with a bang with this story and say she got baptized last week. We, we haven't even gotten together yet, but... There's openness there. And who would have thought in the Minneapolis airport we would have found somebody that was from our city and was looking for a church 
I'm just praying that Tanya and her family will become a Christian. But you know, that, that little story, if we would just have a vision like Jesus is talking about right here, we would see that story repeated multiple times, even this week with this group of people right here. The resurrection was an amazing thing. The crucifixion was devastating to people. You and I go through times in our life where things seem devastating. There's always a bright spot on the other side if you choose to stay with God and look for it. And I think no matter where all of us are, some of us are doing the best we've ever done. Maybe some of us are just barely hanging on. Doesn't matter. Because we have this man named Jesus who for 40 days, in addition to all the other things, he reconciled people, he gathered people together, and he cast a vision, the same thing he wants to do for all of us. And we're going to remind ourselves that of that right now as we pray for the Lord's Supper. Amen. Father, uh, we're amazed at how loving and patient and kind you are. We're amazed, God, that even in the midst of tragedy, you still have great things planned for each and every one of our lives. I pray that you will give us the faith and the desire and the conviction that we're always going to hold on to you and never let go. That no matter how far we fall or how great we do, you have a vision for our lives. We're thankful for this bread that represents Jesus and his body that was given up on the cross. We're thankful for the juice that we're about to drink that represents his blood, how it was spilled and poured on the cross, so unworthy of it. And yet, God, we know that that sacrifice is what cleanses us every single day of every single sin for the rest of our lives. Help us to be grateful and offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God. Thank you.